Hello, this is Joshua Mack from Cornerstone Bible Church, and we're talking marriage and family. Uh, Specifically, lately, uh, we've been thinking a little bit about the importance of being unselfish. We uh, know that we are supposed to love our spouse, we're supposed to love our children, and one of the uh, marks of a person who loves someone else is that he puts their interests above his own. Uh, He's unselfish. The Apostle Paul uh, puts it like this in Philippians chapter 2. He stresses the importance of being unselfish. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be unified. And certainly we want that not just in the church, but also in our families. Well, how, how does that work out? What does it look like? unselfishness. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, of course, you remember he gives that example of Christ who acted in such an unselfish way. And then uh, later on in the chapter, he gives an example of Timothy. Timothy followed in Jesus's footsteps. And yet, uh, Paul says he's rare. He says, Philippians 2.20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's interests are the other believer's interest, (laughs) being concerned for the welfare of the other person. That's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to be unselfish. And yet, uh, we know that uh, often we are very selfish. And... uh, And we're not very good at being unselfish. So certainly you're not going to become more unselfish without looking at Christ, without repenting of your sin. And uh, yet at the same time, you know, you might want to be unselfish and still not be very good at it. It's uh, a virtue. And there's a sense in which you could say uh, being unselfish is a kind of, of skill, Some people are better at acting in unselfish ways than others. And uh, so I want us to think a little bit about how do we become better at being unselfish? Assuming that we want to be unselfish, how do we get better uh, sort of in the practical nitty-gritty areas of life at living in an unselfish way? Uh, First, we said you need to uh, assume that you can work on becoming, uh, you need to work on becoming more unselfish. Just assume The problem with uh, sins like selfishness and pride are that they poke out our spiritual eyes and make it very difficult for us to see ourselves. And so we often have sort of a distorted view of our own unselfishness. We're like, I am very unselfish. And uh, we have a sort of uh, exaggerated view of other people's selfishness. We can see how they're being selfish, but have a difficult time seeing that we're being selfish. So assume that you need to work on this. Sin is so deceptive. It's not going to do you damage to think I could work on being unselfish. Think about how you can become more unselfish. And some ways that you can work at evaluating your life to be able to see where you are being selfish. And of course, the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because you're not going to change if you don't see it. Uh, To repent of sin, you have to see sin. To change, you have to see where you need to change. And so uh, you need to assume I need to look in my life and see if I'm being selfish. And there are some places you can look. So 
One, ask your wife, ask your children. Uh, even just look at the way your children act. They are their own sinners. They can figure out how to sin on their own. But at the same time, often the way your children respond, they've, they've, they've learned how to respond when they don't get the, their way from you. They've learned what's an acceptable way to respond. And so you might look at your children and if they really have a hard time being uncomfortable and if they really have a hard time uh, giving to others, it might be a sign at least to, to slow down and ask yourself, have, they, have I shown them a different way? Have I shown them a better way? Have I taught them a better way? And then uh, you can ask people at church, look for unselfish people <laughs> and uh, sort of have them mentor you in unselfishness. There are just, there are people who, the, the pattern of their life really is to think of others and uh, follow them around. And you can learn so much about how to be unselfish from watching them live their life. So uh, think, 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 think. We can't just sit back and think, I'm not doing anything selfishly. We need to step up and evaluate. Am I really an unselfish person? Now, uh, second, second, first thing, second, do something, act. Uh, If you want to learn to be more unselfish, you need to put yourself in situations where you have to be unselfish. It's kind of like anytime you want to learn a new language, what's the best way to, to learn that language? It's to be in a situation where you have to use that language. It's hard to, lo- to learn a language just sitting in your office. Uh, you can, I'm sure, Duolingo all day long, but it's hard. You've you got to get out and speak. And there's something similar going on with learning to be unselfish. Obviously, again, first you have to have the desire to truly be loving and unselfish. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere. And you need to have a relationship with Jesus. You need to abide in Christ, of course. But at the same time, you can want to be unselfish, and yet it still can be harder for you to learn it if you're not in situations where you need to practice it. It's kind of like we've all been around uh, guys who have been single forever, and single guys, we love you. But there's a challenge sometimes for single guys when they get married, if they've been single for a long time. And uh, it's because... They just haven't been in a situation where they've had to think of anyone else. And so they've thought, yeah, I'm a super unselfish person. And yet, uh, once they get married, they're like, wow, I'm really, really selfish. And a part of that's just because they hadn't been put in that position before. Uh, Even I think uh, this might be a little more controversial, but I don't really think it should be. Uh, Kids that grow up as an only child. It's not totally their fault, of course, but they haven't always learned the skill of sharing because they haven't had other children around taking their toys. Now, of course, kids that grow up with lots of other kids don't always learn the skill of sharing either. Uh, They need parents there and they need regeneration. But obviously, they've had a lot more practice because they've just been put in situations where they've had had to share. And in a a similar way, I think uh, a lot of people don't always have to develop the skill of being very unselfish if you look at the way their lives are set up. Uh, 
They set up their lives to be as comfortable as they possibly can be. And uh, because they're able to do that, especially here in a place like America, they're able to set their lives up to revolve around themselves. They don't really learn this skill of being unselfish. And I think if you are going to become better at being unselfish, you've kind of got to disrupt the flow. It's actually part of why I love having a big family. Not everybody obviously has to have a big family. It's not for everybody. But part of why I like having a big family over the years has been because it's a training ground for unselfishness. I sometimes say I had to have to learn to be unselfish or die. Those are like my only two options. We know, of course, that having a big family isn't the answer to automatically becoming more unselfish because we all know uh, big families where that's not happening. And I certainly know that I'm not as unselfish as I wish I could be. But I'm just saying, if you want to learn to be unselfish, it really helps to put yourself in situations where you're forced to learn it. That's part of why I love being in multicultural churches. Also, I love a multi-social class relationships because to have real relationships, multiculturally, multi-social class, uh, you, you constantly have to, to think differently. When we lived in Africa, this came to mind almost all the time. When I would want to visit someone in the hospital, I couldn't just drive over there and drive home uh, because there would be other people visiting who didn't have cars. And so I would have to learn to think, who can I drive and where can I drive them? Or when we're having conversations, when we were having conversations, I can't just talk about what I like to talk about or it won't be a very long conversation. I would have to figure out what do they like to talk about and try to be interested in that. But that's not the only way uh, we can learn to put ourselves out there. And you certainly don't have to go to Africa to, to be in relationships like that. That's Part of why I think God allows our relationships sometimes here in the church to be messy, just to be in a relationship, really. You have to learn to be unselfish. Uh, but uh, sometimes uh, one of the, the best opportunities, really, for learning to be unselfish would be uh, relationships with people you're unfamiliar with. So maybe another way to put it would be hospitality. Um, opening up your home to others is a great way to be forced to be unselfish. And, and, and I just encourage you, push yourself. Push yourself in that way. It's funny how sometimes a wrong kind of, a wrong view of unselfishness, I guess, is, is sometimes very selfish and an excuse for not being hospitable. <laughs> And so what I mean is we're like, oh, I, I can't bring people into my home because I just like to do everything so perfectly for them and I get so stressed out and everything has to be so great. Well, if we're not careful, that, that kind of looks maybe like, oh, I'm, you know, I would be hospitable, but, but it's just because I'm so unselfish that I'm not able to be hospitable. But we have to be careful because that, can be really, that can really be a form of pride. It's not actually about loving the other person. It's about loving ourselves well and making ourselves look good. So it's not really hospitality or unselfishness. It's a, it's a strange, strange version of selfishness. And so if we're going to become more unselfish, uh, we have to think about it. 
we, we should act. We should, we should put ourselves in situations where we're forced to be unselfish and be thankful for that. And then a third step would be uh, adjust, adjust, think, act, adjust. Be- becoming unselfish um, involves, uh, requires uh, adjusting your expectations. When it comes to marriage, life, ministry, adjust your expectations. What do I mean by that? What I mean is there's some mental discipline that's required for serving others unselfishly. Self-control, really. It's kind of like when you're laying there at night and you're so hot and your wife is cold and she doesn't like the window open and you're laying there and you want to be kind, but you're sweating. There's a mental war going on in there. Obviously, serving others is supposed to be a joy. This is a good thing to serve our wives. But so often it isn't a joy because these selfish thoughts creep in. And even sometimes we start off with wanting to serve and then we go and it gets hard and these selfish thoughts start coming in. And that's when you really have to grab hold of your thoughts. That's where mental discipline comes in. And I found a very helpful way to grab hold of your thoughts is actually right at the beginning, before you even get going, just adjust your expectations, change your expectations. I mean, when you start to be tempted to complain about being unselfish and serving, ask yourself, what did you expect in the first place anyway? I love the title of that book by Paul Tripp. What did you expect? We follow a crucified savior. When did we ever expect that following him would be comfortable? If you look at the image he gives us of greatness in the gospel, it's a slave. Matthew twenty twenty six. whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant or slave. And that's not a comfortable life. And yet we complain when it starts to get difficult. And we have to ask ourselves as we're complaining, wait, what were you expecting? And practically, I found it so helpful to just change your expectations at the beginning, like make a mental decision. I'm sure you've done this, but as an example, when uh, we were living in a foreign country, there's a lot of work that has to be done just to live in a foreign country. So I know when we first moved there, uh, going to something they called home affairs, I would go expecting to get it done right away. And I would go away so disappointed because it wouldn't happen. But uh, what I learned to do was just adjust my expectations. And I would go expecting to have to go back two or three times. And so that really helped. It wasn't nearly the challenge to have a good attitude because I was ready for it. That's what I expected. And it can be the same with being unselfish and serving others. Uh, from the beginning, it helps to expect to go last. When our family dishes up food, nine children, uh, eight living with us now, and we've got uh, s- some kids in the beginning. This isn't so much true anymore, but we'd have some kids that were really slow with uh, dishing up their food. And I tend to be fast. I'm always in a rush and I don't know why. And so in the beginning, I was like, how can this take so long? And yet uh, now, um, if I'm the person who's supposed to go last, I just know to go uh, take a walk around the living room or something. Actually, the kids were unselfish, and most of the time they let me go first now because I'm so fast. But, uh, but really, as we seek to be unselfish, we need to just kind of tweak our expectations. Expect to go last. Expect not to be thanked. Uh, some cultures, there's not a lot of thanking going on, which is a kind of selfishness, honestly. And that's a skill to develop, appreciating what other people are doing for you. But when you're the one doing, it helps to do it for God 
and expect people won't think you're doing much for them. Uh, we learned that a, a little, or at least Marta really learned it way back at the beginning, uh, fostering Muzi. Uh, Muzi's disabled, and he was on this medicine that made him have a terrible runny tummy, uh, so much that the diaper he would wear couldn't contain it. And so every morning we would wake up and walk down the hall, and if you opened his door, this smell would attack you, and there would be stuff everywhere. And Marta was the one who cleaned that up and washed him off, which he hated, and he would scream because he hated water. And anyway, that was so hard at first. But then Marta realized she was going to bed one night. Uh, she, she realized, you know what? I'm going to bed every night hoping not to have to do this in the morning. And every morning I'm disappointed. So what did she do? She changed her expectations and she just expected to have to do it. You know, when I wake up, this is the job the Lord's given me. I need to clean a muzi. And as a result, she was able to do it with so much joy. Fourth, fourth step to becoming unselfish. I know I'm kind of... Uh, going on and on here, but fourth, pause. Obviously, in a marriage and in relationships, there's going to be stuff that comes up because you're different. And uh, when that happens, that's an opportunity to pause. And before you make an issue out of things, ask yourself, is this a preference or a principle? And if it's a preference, then ask yourself, why is it a problem at all? I think um, this is a challenge sometimes just as you think about leadership because there are times as a leader to have opinions and express opinions. But there are guys who have opinions about everything. And you do have to kind of stop and think every once in a while, why does this matter if I'm going to die? Seriously, I'm going to die. Why does this matter? Uh, Maybe to come at it a different way. uh, In relationships with people, a lot of times we get offended. And uh, when we're offended, it just feels so right, doesn't it? <laughs> like we don't even have to look at ourselves because we're the ones who were offended. But the thing about being offended is that often being offended is being selfish. And so we have to learn to ask ourselves when we feel offended, why? Why am I offended? And often it's because I've got this preference that I've made into a principle. And yet it feels so right. And it's sometimes so hard to see that I'm the one being selfish because usually when you're offended, you're the one who's doing something that looks good, serving or something. Anyway, becoming more unselfish is not just reacting. It requires pausing and thinking and evaluating. Is this a preference or a principle? And if it's a preference for me, instead of me forcing you to do what I want, why don't I either do it myself or just develop the habit of enjoying other people's preferences? Because you actually can learn to do things you don't like because you love someone else. It's like, it's not much of a big sacrifice, I know, but I can't tell you how many Hallmark movies or fixer-up shows I've watched over the years. And part of that is because I'm trying to prefer what my wife prefers. And it kind of grows on you. Not, not the Hallmark movies always, but preferring others' preferences. That's kind of what I want to be my fundamental preference, actually. Your preference. And I've found there's a lot of stuff that we initially think is going to be so hard because of what we like or our wiring. We're like, I can't do that. But it's not really that hard in the big scheme of things. There's hard, and then there's hard, you know? What's hard is going to hell. 
holding, holding a wiggling kid on your lap for a little while or standing for a half hour in the mall while your wife is looking at clothes is not hard. And so often when you start doing it, it gets easier. And even if it is so hard for you at first because your preference is so strong that you just can't seem to give it up, at the very least, be careful to make it clear to everyone that it's a preference. It's good to try to give up your preferences, but there are some preferences you have and you're living together and it can be done differently. And so you, 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 you might as well work on it, but at least admit as you're working on it that it's a preference because sometimes we want our way so much that we overstate our case and talk like preferences are principles and it makes things way more confusing. When you could just say, I, I guess I just like it this way and it's weird, but I love you and you love me and I wonder if we can just do it this way because I'm having a hard time giving up this preference right now. It's funny how often when you talk to someone who's having issues and there's this huge conflict and you boil it all down to the circumstance that started it and it's like such a preference issue and yet no one's willing to admit that or no one's willing to prefer what the other person prefers and you're like, oh man, just acknowledge this is not really right or wrong. Assume you need to grow, think about it, do something, disrupt your flow, adjust your expectations, pause and evaluate, is this a preference or principle and try to give up your preferences. And maybe I should just quickly add a caveat. I'm not talking about preferring yourself by just always giving in either because there's a selfishness that looks unselfish and some people do that. They're living with someone who's difficult and so they always give in, not because they really want the other person's best, but because that's the only way to survive. And while it looks unselfish, it's not actually. Finally, uh, real quick, learn to take delight in being unselfish, delight in this. One of the challenges with trying to become more unselfish is that your attitude doesn't always match up with your actions because you might just do something and yet in such a grumpy way, which is kind of sad because here's this huge blessing serving others in your family and yet with our attitude, we could turn it into this really hard thing. It should be a joy. We get to serve our wives or our husbands. We get to serve our children. This is something we should literally love to do. And yet we can ruin it with our attitude. And the fact is, a lot of times, what we're complaining about and acting as if it were so hard is something we should be rejoicing in. That's one of the things about selfishness, and it's so good to know that. It's a great liar. And it can fool you into thinking the reason you're complaining and upset is because of the circumstance you're in. But it doesn't work like that. It's like when you're with your kids at Disneyland, and it's this amazing place, and you're standing in line thinking it's so hot, and there are too many people here. And why does it smell? Or whatever. Just because you're not enjoying something doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. It's like what Marta sometimes says. Some people think they're grumpy because their life is so terrible when the reality is their life seems terrible because they're so grumpy. And I guess understanding that's one of the things that can make the impossible possible. It's taking a step back and looking at your reaction and realizing that reaction isn't always matching up to reality, like the kid complaining in line at Disneyland or me sighing when my wife asks me to do something. That's not appropriate. I get to be married. I get to do something for my wife, on and on. I really do. This is, this is amazing. So the way that I'm acting when I sigh or when I complain, isn't really matching up with what's real. It's kind of like when your kids are little and you're at the store and they want something badly and they ask and you say no 
and I've always thought at that moment, it's not really fair for me to ask them not to be disappointed, right? Because uh, they didn't get what they wanted. That's disappointing. But what I do expect is that they learn to express their disappointment in a way that matches up with reality, which is that I love them. We're in the grocery store. We're being fed. And they have to learn some self-control to do that. And we have to learn some self-control if we're going to respond with joy while we're serving unselfishly. We have to learn to grab hold of our minds and even specifically our bodies. We have to, in a sense, work at learning to enjoy serving unselfishly because it should be a joy. And I think one specific helpful step is learning self-control in the initial moments. So one of the things I've tried to learn to do over the years is grab hold of what I say or show with my body. And some of you are better at this because you don't communicate so much non-verbally, but I do. And so it really takes self-control because what so often happens is that three or four minutes into the unselfish service, you're enjoying it. You love it. But if you haven't been careful with how you were talking or acting at the beginning, you ruined it with the way you, with the way you responded. And this is where I love that power of habit that Jay Adams talks about because you can have bad habits when it comes to being unselfish and that can feel difficult to overcome. And you can also just serve by habit without heart and that's not what we're after. But you can learn to serve immediately with a good attitude as a matter of habit, giving your heart a chance to catch up so you feel what you want to feel as you're serving, which is where you want to get, where the other person's not having to do something brings you more joy than you not having to do it. Or the other person experiencing something brings you more joy than even you experiencing it. And while uh, you have these things that you enjoy, that's great. Even more fundamentally, what you enjoy the most is honoring Jesus by seeing the other person's experience be more satisfying and enjoyable. Obviously, uh, being unselfish is beautiful. (laughs) You meet someone who is truly unselfish, obeying this command in Philippians 3, considering others more significant themselves than themselves. They are a beautiful person. And uh, we want to be like that. We want to be like that. If we're going to be like that, we need the Word of God. We need, obviously, first the Spirit of God in our hearts. We need uh, to be enjoying a deep relationship with God. We need to be going deep in the gospel. But we also uh, need to be working at learning the skill of being unselfish. And how do we do that? Think about it. Think about it. Think where you need to grow. Do something. Make a, make a plan to try to disrupt your flow and uh, put yourself in situations where you have to develop this skill of being uncomfortable for the good of others, being unselfish. Adjust your expectations. Make a, you expect that you're going to have to say no to self. Pause and uh, evaluate what is it that's really making me upset here. Is it principle or preference? And if it's preference, there are look at it as an opportunity. This is a chance for me to die to self, and then develop the self control to uh, think about things properly, and. Uh, You want to do that so that you can really enjoy what's enjoyable. And that is loving others and loving your family for the glory of God.